This morning I want to take just a few minutes, about 15 minutes, and uh, I'd like to read a passage from the Gospel of Mark. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you there to turn Mark 10. Mark 10 and verses 35 to 45. Mark 10, 35 to 45. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let us... Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your, you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I begin with this quote from pop star legend Madonna. I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and I think, I'm mediocre and uninteresting, again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. And my struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. sad thing about her life is that she's driven not by joy, but she's driven by fear. Such is the case of so many lives. And I was just thinking this week about my life, because I am not mediocre. If you're a believer here today, you are not mediocre. I live in an exalted place. I have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. I have been adopted as a child of God. I have been redeemed. I have been forgiven. I have been loved. I have been given spiritual gifts. I am valued. The Bible says that I am an heir with Christ. I'm far from mediocre. And Madonna has spent most of her life trying to find value in her performance. And one day she will no longer be able to perform. And then 
what will there be? What will there be? Then, then who will she be? And I would certainly pray that she would one day re- realize the futility of trying to be somebody apart from God. You know, the number one things that teens say they would like to be when they grow up is a celebrity. Number one, when asked, well, if you could be anything when you grow up, what would it be? Number one is a celebrity. <clears throat> somebody famous, somebody who has a lot of money, somebody who has a name. I love Bob Hostetler wrote the book American Idols, and in there he tells of a, a young girl that knew he was an author, and she came up and she said, I was wondering if I could, I was wondering if I could get your autograph. And you know what he said to her? He said, why is my name any import, more, more important than yours? I thought, what a great response. We all want to be great. Is it okay to want to be great? Well, let me ask you a question. Is, is Jesus Christ great? Is it okay to want to become like Christ? Aren't we to seek to become like Christ? Now certainly it's sinful to want to be great like God is great. We have Lucifer who was the greatest of the angels, but he wasn't content with that. He wanted to be like God in greatness. And so certainly the, you know, we know that we are not to try and be great as God is great. But what about being great as, as the person that God has created us to be? I believe God wants us to be great people. Now we're allowing, let's allow God to define that word great. He doesn't want us to try and be like God, but he does want us to be great people. I believe that. In fact, God's purpose is that one day you would be perfect in Christ. I love the, the reading on one tombstone. It says, construction completed. Thanks for your patience. God is doing a work. He is, he is perfecting us. And one day, you know, the glory which he intended for us to have, which, which we lost when we fell in sin, that glory is one day going to be restored. So here in this text, we see Jesus does not condemn his disciples for wanting to be great. We don't see that anywhere here. They thought greatness was about being in a position above other people. You know, being over people, having perhaps more money than other people, having a more, quote, in the eyes of the world, famous name than other people. And, and Jesus tells them, you know, they, they, have it, they have it all wrong. He says, he, and so he, they're, they're, they're upset with James and John because they want this position which would put them over the other ones. And so he calls them all together. He says, you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But he said, not so with you. And listen to what he says here. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. So Jesus said, look, 
Here's how you become great. Doesn't reprimand them for wanting to be great. He redefines what it means to be great. I mean, think about Jesus' life. You know, for 30 years, he was a, a simple carpenter. He, he made furniture. And, you know, we don't, uh, there, there are no existing things that he made, like a Rembrandt or something like that. To our knowledge, there was nothing special about the furniture he made. I'm sure it was good, but he was just a simple, ordinary carpenter. He never owned a home. He walked everywhere that he went. He had no official title in his day other than rabbi, as some called him. He only had enough money to live from day to day. He dies in the eyes of the greats as nothing more than a wannabe king. And yet he was the greatest. He was the greatest. I, I love the Philippians 2 interpretation in the message, the paraphrase there of that passage. Listen to what it says. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Jesus Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside his privileges of deity, took on the status of a slave, and became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience... God lifted him high, honored him far above anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he's master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. You talk about a successful life. You, you talk about being a great man. Did you hear the definition of success from that passage? This is, this is a definition of success. This is a definition of someone who's great. It is one who is obedient to God. That is success for your life. It has nothing to do with where you end up vocationally. It has nothing to do with what income level you end up at. It has nothing to do with it, whether your name makes it in the paper ever. It has to do with, are you being obedient to God's call on your life? That is what makes a person great. And that will look, on the one hand, very different, won't it? That will look very different. For some, success means working faithfully on swing shift in a factory for 40 years, providing for your family, and God may look at that and say, this, this is a great person. They have been faithful to my call on their life. For another, it may mean managing that factory with thousands of employees. 
For that is God's call on their life. For one, it may mean raising three children at home, and for another, it may be going early to the hospital and performing heart surgery from morning till night. Our callings vocationally in life are very different, but they do not determine our greatness. Our greatness and our success is determined by how faithful we are to God's calling on our life. On the other hand, there's something that all of those callings have in common for those who are great. Success and greatness is when you take the position that God has called you to and use it, and use it to serve other people. That is what all great people have in common. So whether you spend the day putting on new heart valves, or whether you spend the day changing diapers, it really doesn't matter. Because in both those situations, you have an opportunity to selflessly serve other people. There was an interesting guy in the Old Testament. And I'm, I'm just going to walk through his story really quickly here. But... In 2 Kings 5, there's a guy by the name of Naaman, and he was a very successful guy. He was a great guy. And his story is, is quite interesting. Let me just walk through it quickly, and, and I'll just read through this, and you can follow along. We find these words in 2 Kings. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man. Notice that. He was a great man in whose sight? In the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. So here's the context of this guy. Now the bands from Aaron had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go. And the king of Aaron replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? But Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, and he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Nahum went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parf... And Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. 
And Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash, and you will be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored. And he, he became clean like that of a young boy. Well, we don't have time to unpack the whole story, but let me just make this point. Someday it'd be fun to go back and just walk through that story. But here was a very successful man, a great man, and there was a need in his life. He had leprosy, and when he, when he came to the prophet, God humbles this man, and, and what we see here is a confrontation with his pride because he felt he was above he expected some kind, a little more pomp in, the, in, in his healing, and he finds that Elisha doesn't even come to meet him, but sends a messenger. And then tells him to go dip in this muddy water of the Jordan seven times. And in essence, in this story, we see this, this man makes a decision to humble himself, and he begins to experience this blessing in his life. You know, this last week, this last week, many of you here put this word into practice, uh, selflessly serving people. And I'm not sure that we can or will ever understand just how important these acts of service are. You know, I think we completed about 15 projects and uh, from bathrooms to fences to houses and leveling decks. And, you know, we talk about greatness and, and that in our lives. You say, what's, what's so great about replacing a few rotting boards on a deck? But I think it's going to take another day to probably realize just how profound and uh, just how deeply God uses those kinds of things in our lives. I've heard many stories of people who, who came back and talked about something, some small little act, some small little word that someone had done years and years ago. And, you know, the Bible says that, that when you do those things, it's like, it's like sowing seeds. And there are, there are many seeds that can sit dormant for many years before they, before they sprout. In fact, who knows? It may be someone laying on a deathbed in a coma who recalls back uh, an encounter. And I, I can't help but believe that that was the case this week, that there, there are things that were done and things that were said that will come to fruition and, and we will never know about what they were or where they are. And so we heed these words this morning. I, I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care if, if you make a quarter of a million dollars a year or if, if you're out of a job and living on welfare. At this point in your life, you can be great in the eyes of God. God looks at greatness and success in a far different way than the world does. God is simply calling you to be obedient to him. And the outplay of that in your life and mine 
will be to selflessly serve the people that God brings to us. It starts with the person next to you. It moves out with the person that you'll meet this week. And so that would be my prayer this morning. And uh, we're going to just, we're going to end the service here with just a, a, a visual of, of what that looks like and what that looked like this past week. And so I'm going to invite that at this time. I invite you to watch that and then we'll conclude.